Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right. Another week and another episode of full-on Eagles discussion as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 89. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with former Eagles linebacker Ike Reese to get his thoughts on seeing Jim Schwartz's scheme in full effect this season and what this group needs moving into 2017 and beyond. Ike and I round out that conversation with two technique where we talk about what needs to happen as a linebacker to defeat a block in the run game coming downhill. Huge part of what Jim Schwartz asks his linebackers to do in the construct of this scheme. And then we will wrap this show up with our scouting report where this week I look at a linebacker that stood out to me during my film study in preparation for the Senior Bowl and why some of his traits that he showed in college would, in theory, make him a good fit here in Philadelphia. We have got a ton to get into, so let's not waste any more time. Ike Reese and I talk about Jim Schwartz and how this scheme compares to the team that he played for with defensive coordinator Jim Johnson. Let's get to that now in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Joined now by former Eagles linebacker, 94-1 WIP host, Eagles game plan analyst, CSN analyst, general good guy, Ike Reese, I appreciate you joining us. T- that's a lot of titles there, brother. <laughs> well, look, that, you're all over the place, man. Well, I tell you, that's uh, the cost of living in Jersey. <laughs> I'm telling you. Well, I appreciate you joining us here once again on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. It's been a while since you've been on the show, um, but a lot to talk about, obviously. Last week, I talked about the Eagles offense and the development of Carson Wentz with one of your good friends, Mike Quick. Mm-hmm. I, I Now I want to talk to you about the progression of this Eagles defense, how, how it will continue to evolve, and what we're looking at moving forward. What were your biggest takeaways after watching Jim Schwartz's defense one full year? We got to see it through 16 games in the preseason and the summer. What were your biggest takeaways coming away from the first year? Well, I mean, obviously they had an up-and-down year. They, they came out like gangbusters. Um, that led to them playing very well at home through the first half of the season where they just played smothering defenses uh, against offenses with the likes of you know, Pittsburgh Steelers, the Atlanta Falcons, you know, Minnesota Vikings in there. And then I thought as the season wore on, you get in that middle part of the season, for whatever reason, teams found a weakness in the defense and they wanted to exploit it through the air. And, and so um, you watch this defense play and you quickly realize that if the front four isn't being dominant, uh, they couldn't be successful. And a lot of the, you know, the pressure on the quarterback, and I'm not one of those guys that focus a ton on sacks because I learned from Jim Johnson, sacks is just a number that people use to get paid off of. Uh, uh, the idea of the defensive coordinator is to affect the quarterback, uh, affect his arm, move him off his spot. So, you know, Jim would always preach to us about getting pressure and getting hurries because that's when you're going to get turnovers. Sometimes a sack is beneficial to a quarterback as opposed to a a loose ball being knocked out there or uh, a, a fluttered pass being hit from the, from the arm. Anyway, as I digress, uh, I think that happened with the defense as far as the defensive line not affecting the quarterback, and it showed where uh, we lack a little bit in the secondary, particularly at the cornerback positions. Uh, you just can't win in this league 
when you're giving up chunk plays. You're giving up 20-yard passes, 30-yard passes. You make it very hard on yourself. And, um, you know, but I like a lot of the aspects of the defense, you know, and, and starting with the personnel, you know, starting with the personnel. You know, I, I think up front there is some, some quality talent in that defensive line. That's the strength of the team. Certainly need guys to step up and play uh, uh, to their capabilities. Love Jordan Hicks in there in the middle. Even Nigel Bradham had a little bit of a uh, unsung season. Yeah, you know, right. I thought he was a, he was also a playmaker at that linebacking uh, position with Jordan Hicks. And then I love both of our safeties. Yeah. I mean, I think Rodney McLeod is going to be even better next year playing next to Malcolm Jenkins. I think as good of a year as Malcolm had, and I, I think he was our defensive MVP, quite frankly, um, as good of a year as he had, a lot of it is attributed to the fact that, at least from Oz, he produced while not being in the optimum position on the field. Yep, I agree. So he was put in a difficult position because he had to compensate for us losing Ron Brooks, not having a nickel guy, and he was still productive there. And I think he could have been even more productive had he been able to play safety all year long and sure. just do a lot of the other things that he's very good at doing. All right, so uh, let's let's start up from the front. You mentioned what you saw from the defensive line. A lot of people talk about Fletcher Cox, and, and it's really interesting, and, you, and you've been around the city for a long time. Obviously, you're very engaged with the fan base, with what you do every single day, talking with the fans. And it's interesting to see the, the expectations that were kind of put on Fletcher from a production standpoint. And then just see, I, you know, watching the tape every week, you see – this guy's just dominant every single week. Very few. One of your favorite things to say is no one in this league can block Fletcher one-on-one, and we saw all the extra attention he was paid. No different than what we've seen in years past for sure, but when you do have extra attention paid towards one player, everybody else around him does have to step up, and at certain points this year that wasn't, just wasn't the case. Yeah, no doubt about it. you got to win your one-on-ones. You know, it's no different than, you know um, – you look at a basketball game, and if the star player is being doubled every time he gets the ball or then loading up the defense towards him, he's going to have to pass the ball, and you're going to have to hit the open shots. And so same thing applies in football. You know, when you're, when you're a dominant defensive lineman and you command double teams, sometimes even triple teams with the running backs chipping on you or what have you, well, the other guys around you are going to benefit from that. I mean, they, they just are. It's, and, you know, that's why you take guys like Clyde Simmons, as great as Jerome Brown was, guys like uh, Ron Pitts and Mike Golick, and those guys that played alongside the great Reggie White. Well, we wouldn't even know the most of those guys if it wasn't for Reggie White. Right. And, and, and I know Reggie White is arguably the greatest defensive player ever, so I'm not comparing, comparing Fletcher Cox to him. But the idea of having a guy that the offensive line is going to focus on the other guys have to step up. And we have guys that are capable of doing that. They just didn't do it on a consistent basis. Other than Brandon Graham. Uh, you know, Brandon Graham had a phenomenal year. I think everybody else needed to uh, raise their level of play. I, and it's interesting, too. And that's one of the, my favorite things about the sport of football is the fact that it literally is the ultimate team game. Yeah. And we talk about it all the time. I remember a couple weeks ago, and actually last week, talking about it with Mike, when we talked about Peyton Manning and Marvin Harrison, and how those guys had such a great chemistry and how they kind of played off each other and all the work that went into that. But is Peyton Manning as productive if he doesn't have Marvin? Is Jerry Rice as productive if he doesn't have Montana, vice versa? Oh, yeah. You know, there's all those scenarios all throughout the, you know, the history of football. Uh, is Zeke, if Zeke Elliott doesn't get drafted by the Dallas Cowboys and he gets drafted by uh, the, you know, the Cleveland, the Cleveland Browns, Browns is, yeah. does he have the same kind of year production-wise? Right. I would say definitely not, no. almost assuredly not. No. Uh, so it's, it's really interesting that the, the production end of – 
football is what is really, I think, the hardest thing for people to kind of get a grasp of because you have sports like baseball and basketball where it's kind of individual focus. It's not the case in football, and you need so many other things to work for you in order to put up big numbers on a consistent basis. To me, it's the greatest thing about the sport. It is truly a team sport, and now guys get paid individually uh, and and, and deserving, but all those guys will tell you none of them could produce the way that they produce if the other guys aren't doing their jobs. Yeah. I mean, it just doesn't work that way in this sport. And when whether you're an offensive coordinator or a defensive coordinator or, hell, even a special teams coordinator, you know, when you diagram these plays or draw these plays up, you draw it up with the idea of each part connects to the other and each position needs to be doing a certain job that's designed on that play in order for the ultimate designing of the play to work right that's just how it works in football well it's like one of the segments we did for eagles game plan i think it was for the week seven no it was with the week 16 show it was but after the uh, the giants game and it was the long touchdown from cj Procise. you did the segment yeah. with john clark it was the long touchdown for cj Procise back in the seattle game and everything across the field was exactly how Jim Schwartz would have wanted it. They bring a receiver in motion right behind the formation. Uh, it was Doug Baldwin. And Baldwin, his job is to block the safety to create a one-on-one matchup between the running back and the corner inside. Yep. And that's exactly what happened. It was a great job by the offense. The defense matched up exactly how they were supposed to. But the tackle wasn't made in the hole. Everybody else is in their gap. Yep. The tackle's not made. 72-yard touchdown. Everyone says, oh, the wide nine. They can't stop anybody. No. I mean, everything was exactly how <laughs> yes. it was supposed to look. Perfect defense for the offensive play that was called. And then the offense perfectly executed because Seattle was saying, if we block this thing up right, CJ's going to be one-on-one with the corner. That's what they try and do. Exactly. And that's what they want. And Jim Swartz is saying, well, if everybody fits in their right gap, you're going to be right there free with the running back. you got to make the tackle. Exactly. And that's one of the great things about the X and O. You know, it brings me it's the, from a defensive perspective, you think of some of those blitzes that Jim Schwartz did run this year, right, yeah. where those zone exchange blitzes. We saw that was like kind of the, the biggest blitz concept we saw from the Eagles this year where, you know, Benny Logan or Fletcher Cox or Bo Allen would drop in coverage and uh, Nigel Bradham would go yeah. uh, as a, still maintaining that four-man rush. But really what you're doing is you're stacking one side of the formation, trying to get the protection to slide one way, and you're pe- dropping people out only to send people from the weak side. Yeah. That's a great job by the defense. You look at it and say, like, oh, well, the running back's got to step up. Well, yeah, but that's what the defense wanted. They <laughs> want a, a linebacker on a running back in protection. And that's how defenses dictate to the offense. That's what Jim Johnson was the best at. He understood protections. So he would call certain blitzes that would force us to give a, a certain disguise because he knows when the offense sees this look, they're going to check to this protection, and this is where the running back is going to turn. He's going to turn to block you, and we get the extra guy coming here. That's, I mean, that's what the great defensive coordinators do when they, when they design these blitzes. So the one comparison you can make, obviously there were, there were differences in the way Jim Johnson played and the way Jim Schwartz yeah. uh, called the defense, but – the, the overall philosophy is the same in terms of attack and you know, yep. getting after everybody. And the, the, a lot of people you talk to will look at a two-gap, three-four scheme and a one-gap, four-three and say, you know, in a two-gap, three-four, it's read and react. You're not as, obviously, you want everybody to be attacking, but that attack mentality that you get with a defense like Jim Schwartz is, is almost infectious to everybody, not just the guys, oh, it's like one gap, two gap up front, mm-hmm. but the entire defense kind of takes on that mentality. Is that something that, that you see from this unit moving forward? Yeah, no doubt about it. I, I think they play with an aggressive nature. I, honestly, for most of the year, they did a pretty good job against the run game. You know, I think about the run, run defense, 
in 2015. Yeah. And it was, man, big run. After, I'm still seeing Doug Baldwin. I mean, not Doug Baldwin. Doug Martin running up the field when Tampa came here last year and beat us. You know, we just didn't get very much of that this year. You got some big got runs against big runs. us. Yep. But, but for the most part, I mean, listen, they held Ezekiel Elliott, the league's leading rusher, under 100 both times they faced him. Barely over four yards per carry against them. The one game I look at was the Washington game. The first Washington game. Yeah, the game. first Washington game. That's yep. the one that jumps out at me. But everyone else, I thought we did a pretty good job against the run. And a lot of it is the mentality of the players that they have because, quite frankly, in this defense, it can be difficult to stop the run. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, the way because they, the, the D linemen are playing the run on the way to the quarterback. Yeah. In the past, and so you got to be stout with your linebackers and your safeties. Yeah. You got to be good tacklers. You got to have willing linebackers that are physical and that'll play physical. And that's what we have for the most part this year. And the reason why Ike says that is because when you have defensive ends that are going to line up a little bit wider, their responsibility is going to be D gap in the run yes. game, which means that someone else has to be accountable for the C gap. And that's going to be either your linebackers. More often than not, it's going to be a safety. And then that's what happened in that uh, in that Seattle run was the safety was the C gap defender, but when they brought that receiver in to block the safety, the corner has to replace has and to be replace. that guy. Yep. So that's what you know. That's the uh, some of the issues that do come up against that scheme. Let me ask you about uh, the linebacker position. One of the big questions I continue to get on Twitter uh, pretty consistently is about Jordan Hicks and is he a fit at Mike? Would he be better at Will? And my my answer always has been. That in this defense, especially when you play sub pack, when you play nickel as much as the Eagles yeah. do, it, I think the the Mike and the Will are pretty much are facing the same issues regardless. Yeah, you know? and, that, and, and that's the key. That's the key, Fran. Is that yeah, he's the middle linebacker in the defense, but really, when you play as much nickel as we play, because just in today's games, a lot of teams like to go to eleven personnel, so right. you got to have guys on the field that can play the pass as well as play the run. And we use a lot of two linebacker um, um, personnel packages. And so Jordan gets to be the middle linebacker, but really he also gets the ability of, based on whether it's trips or two-by-two formation, he may be the wheel linebacker. And Nigel Bradham is the middle linebacker in certain instances. The kid is such a phenomenal player, such a smart player. Yeah. I, it don't matter where you play him at, man. I I was one of those guys that said, you know what, I want to see him play outside because I love his athleticism and I think he's such a versatile player. You can use him in so many different ways. But quite frankly, he finds his way to the football no matter what, in the run game and the pass right. game. He has good hands. Um, I, I just, I you know, I was thinking the other day, man, and I'm like, you know, Jeremiah played a different type of style. Right. And so we're we're used to that. We're used to that. But this dude is, I I think, I think he's Seth Joyner. That's that's who I think he is. And I tell Have Seth, you told that, Seth that. Yeah, yeah. I told Seth that. And <laughs> <laughs> you know, Seth. You know, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm like, I'm like, no, Seth. You know, I think because people remember how physical you were, and obviously Seth played with such an aggressive nature. But Seth was an outside linebacker, and Seth had good hands, and Seth could rush the passer, and that's what this kid is. Now, all I need from Jordan is put a little bit of that Seth in him. (laughs) You know me, because I was such a demonstrative player, 
I, I like that type of right. player. I like the crazy, you know, Jeremiah Trotter, Seth Jordan type of player. Well, Seth's got some to spare. I mean, he can share some <laughs> of that. Yes, he does. <laughs> he, can. he has to me, he has Willie T's covering ability, William Thomas, but he also has the headiness and the physicalness of Seth Joyner in the run game as well, Yeah, Jordan Hicks. And, and to me, that's, you know, Seth, in my opinion, should be an Eagles Hall of Famer. We'll move on from that because <laughs> I know he will at some point. But I think I think of uh, when I'm talking about Seth and Willie T and, and, and Jeremiah Trotter, those are some of the best linebackers that play here. Yeah. And, you know, so um, and that's what I think of Jordan Hicks. I think Jordan Hicks, he's just scratching the surface of what he can be, man. We, we're looking at a guy that could be a Pro Bowl linebacker for years to come. Yeah, I was listening. To Dave Spadaro made a great point a couple weeks ago on Eagles 360, talking about Jordan Hicks and going into this offseason, how last offseason he couldn't work out really yeah, because he was coming off the peck. Yeah. You know, so he couldn't get stronger. He couldn't yep. get bigger up top, which is where he needed to kind of add some strength, add some bulk. He was unable to because of the torn pectoral muscle in his chest. Uh, the offseason before, he's prepping for the draft and the 40 and doing all the other things he had to do throughout the pre-draft process, still coming off an injury from that year too, as well. So this is kind of his first offseason to really kind of develop his body. So I'm excited to see him going into 2017. Yeah, I am too. Yeah. You know, getting a chance to get stronger this offseason. And the thing I love about the kid, he was asked the same question to it. Does he prefer inside or outside? I don't care where they play me at. Sure. <laughs> so uh, you love his disposition uh, of, of playing. And um, I've gotten to have several conversations with him and – Right guy. Got yeah. the, got the, the uh, D'Amico Ryan sort of leadership ability. You just it's, – it's, it's, it's amazing, man. You got your quarterback on offense and your quarterback on defense, man. That's a good starting point, man, when you, when you look at this team and moving forward. So one other player on defense that I think people are interested to see where he'll end up being is another young player, rookie defensive back Jalen Mills, who yeah. saw, a lot, saw a lot of playing time on the outside as the season went on, saw a little bit more time inside. He played some safety in college. He played all three spots at, at college at LSU. He's a four-year starter for uh, the Beng- Bayou Bengals down there. Uh, what are your thoughts on Jalen Mills, the rookie seventh-round pick, after his first full season? Where do you see him being moving forward for this team? Love everything about Jalen Mills. Love the pick when they got him. I'm like seventh round. I watched this kid play at LSU and just make plays all over the field. And, um, you know, obviously needs to get better in areas. It's not the fastest. But the thing I love about him is he has the number one trait you need to have to play the cornerback position. What's that? Uh, a short memory. Yeah. <laughs> he has that. You, you better have a short memory. Confidence is the next thing you certainly need to have, and he doesn't lack in that area either. And he's a guy that, because he was a seventh-round draft pick, he's going to always play with a chip on his shoulder. He's going to he, – I love that about him. Um well, that's what you were saying about Jordan, that you, you like the uh, – with guys that you've seen play here in the past, you like that demonstrative play. Yeah. Jordan certainly brings that. Yeah, and it's, it's – it's, Or Jalen certainly brings to that. To me, it's, it's what you have to have. Sure. I mean, it's just what you have to have because these receivers today, they play with su- such bravado and a large part of what we – what happens in the NFL is the mental toughness – gets underscored, yeah. you know, and, and you got to have that in this league because there's guys out there, they want to take your heart, and if they know they can get in your head and mess with your confidence, they're going to use that against you. And this kid, uh, I like him because he's a guy that's not afraid of competing, 
Uh, he had tough times out there at times, but I think he only gave up one touchdown. I think you're right. And he, gave, I, he gave up one really long play against Alshon Jeffrey week mm-hmm. two. Gave up the one touchdown done. to the future Hall of Famer, Steve Smith. Yeah, right. You know, sure. That's the only one I can I can remember off hit. Now he gave up plays, but giving up scores is a totally different than giving up a play and then bouncing back from right. it. And that's the big thing that I've always taken away from watching him is that when you see a lot of rookies, especially at the defensive back position, going up against big name players, typically you see guys kind of lock up a little bit, oh, and freeze yeah, up, and then they're oh, pressing yeah. a little bit. Yeah, he went up against one on one. Antonio Brown, Alshon Jeffrey, Steve Smith, uh, Odell Beckham, Julio Jones. I mean, and in key yeah, spots. Right. Yeah, yeah I, in key spots. And you saw him, it, he didn't blink an eye. You would have thought he was going up against, you know, uh, a fourth-round receiver. I agree. Uh, it, that was not the case with him. I agree. And I'm, I'm, I'm interested in, in his development this offseason because it's, it's an opportunity here for him if he can grab it. If he yeah. can grab it. It's an opportunity here for him. And so he needs to build off of what he did this year, uh, take this first offseason serious, realize there's an opportunity in front of him because there's a void that needs to be filled at the cornerback position. They're going to obviously address it this offseason. Don't miss out on your opportunity. Don't let somebody else come yeah, in here and sure. get your opportunity. So, sure. And I think, he, I think he has that mindset. And uh, he's another one of those young pieces, though, man. He's another one of those young pieces that I'm like, I like it. You yeah. know, I, I like this young piece, and I'm, I'm interested in seeing how he develops. You get to add – this will be the last question I have for you in this segment. You get to add one shiny new toy to this defense, uh, whether it's draft, free agency. We don't need to bring up individual names, yeah. but you get to add either a big-time pass rusher or a big-time cover corner. In your mind, what is it that uh, you would want to have? I'm going corner. Okay. I'm going corner. Why, why over the pass rusher? Because I look at our division – and I say, you know, we got to have somebody that, that can line up against some of these receivers in this division that you're going to face twice a year. And it's good quarterbacks in this division, in this league as a whole. You know, the wide receivers are the preeminent football players in this league, right outside of quarterbacks, right? The problem is for quarterbacks, there's more good wide receivers than there are good quarterbacks. Right. So, to me – some of these teams have two of these guys, and you better have somebody that can cover these guys because of what the way the rules are. As much as they throw in this league, you're going to get tested, and you need to have guys that can cover and can get off the field. And this is what we've had here for years. You know, from Eric Allen on Detroit Vincent and Bobby Taylor with Al Harris and Lito Shepard and Sheldon Brown, Asante Samuel. You know, we had guys that could play that position, you gotta have one. You, you can't have a good defense without having good corners. Yeah, at least one, one or two good corners. So, the thing I look at this offseason, I'm saying, the number one thing for our defense is we need a corner. We need a corner, whether it's through free agents. Matter of fact, we need two of them, friend. <laughs> That's just me because I want a veteran and I want young a guy, young guy as guy. well. Okay, you know, we because you gotta have three of them in this league. Yeah, you gotta have three of them in this league, and I wouldn't mind going out there and getting a couple of them. Well, it'll be uh, certainly an interesting debate to follow throughout the offseason as it develops. Well, uh, before we let you go, Ike, as always, want to hit you up on one specific linebacker technique. Let's get to that now in two technique. Time to get inside the mind of a player. It's time for two technique. All right, Ike. So earlier we talked about the linebacker position and Jordan Hicks and comparing him to guys like Seth Joyner and Trotter. So I want to ask you about an area which is big for linebackers in this defense, and that's defeating blocks. 
and there's so many different ways. You you played next to Trot, and you were built much differently than Trot. So oh, yeah, both of you guys had different ways to kind of <laughs> yes. to beat blocks. What are the ways uh, that are the easiest for a linebacker to defeat blocks? And when you watch the game now in the NFL, the, the thing that you think is most uh, common amongst linebackers trying to defeat blocks at the point of attack? Got to use your hands. That's the first thing. You can't, you can't be afraid to shoot your hands. You have to be the aggressor. And it's funny, you know, inside middle linebackers versus what outside linebackers do um, sometimes can vary. It, it, it just does. Middle middle guys, it's almost nowhere around it. You you have to be a downhill player. You're already outweighed in most cases by you know 50 pounds, 60, 70 pounds with some of these linemen. Because most inside linebackers are 240, 245. You got some 250, 255. You have to use your hands, shoot your hands, and shed. You know you got to be the guy that initiates the hit. You want to stun him. You can't be a guy that's catching. Yep. Because linemen are so adept at grabbing because they do it on every play. They know it won't be called. They may get called sometimes, but it's not getting called every play. So they do it every play because they're never going to get away with it 80% of the time. You have to hit them, get off the block, rip through. In other words, you can't just hit, extend your arms, and then start looking for the ball carrier. You're not going to win. As a no, no, because the, the offensive linemen are taught absorb that hit and keep blocking, keep driving your feet. And that's why you see so many guys, when they are playing physical downhill, but they don't get rid of the blocks, they're reaching and lunging for the running back with linemen still on them, right. pancaking them, because they never stop. John Runyon was one of the best at doing it. Uh, would never give up on the block. So it, it can be difficult. And that's why playing linebacker ain't easy because all that head banging wears you down after a while. But you got to have the initial shock. You got to be got to use your hands, disengage. Outside guys, it's a 60-40 sort of proposition. Okay. Now, you got to use your hands, but sometimes you don't have to give as much body as an inside guy does. You almost kind of wipe the hands away. Sure. Yeah. You, you're able to use that athleticism to get around the block. Now, sometimes offenses, they put you in a position where you can't do anything but take on the block and fill your gap. Of course, yep. You got to be able to do it. But the good outside linebackers like the Derrick Brooks, you know, Hall of Famer Derrick Brooks, guys like Willie T was, these guys are smart. And the way that they play guys of the day, Devontae Davis from Tampa, yep. think of him, DeAndre Levy and uh, Detroit, who played in this defense. They're great at initiating the shock and then swimming and get, getting off of you. You yep. got to use that quickness with linemen if you're able to hit them first and then get around them. But the key is you got to get back in your hole. You got to make sure gap. you're in your gap. You got to yeah. get back in your gap. So you're basically what we would do is we would hit, swim, and replace you got to replace. In other words, once you get rid of that dude, you got to replace yourself in that hole. It's almost like you got to, thinking of like a receiver DB standpoint, you almost got to stack that guy and get back over top of him. Yes, that's yeah. basically what you got to be able to do. Interesting. And, 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 and the guys that were good at doing it are the guys that just, they were physical by nature. It's just the way they play, and you ain't, you're not afraid. Guys get in trouble when they want to run around blocks. Right, yeah, that's, that's typically a recipe for disaster. For yeah, you defense. cannot run around blocks. Can't yeah. run around blocks. All right, well, I appreciate the time here, as always, on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. I'm sure we'll talk to you soon here on the show, uh, moving through the offseason. Oh, man, thanks for having me, Fran. Always enjoy it, brother. My pleasure. 
Great stuff from Mike. Again, you can follow him on Twitter just like I do, at Ike58Reese. And while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. That's where I post all of the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce here at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you know I greatly appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on social media. That is one way to support the show, but the other is to go on iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you listen, and you give us a rating and leave us a comment. And I wanted to give a shout-out to Ryan Field, who left a question on our Lipson page this week. And the question is, there seems to be a lot of variation between the top corners in this draft, depending on the analyst. Can you do a segment focused on which corners you think translate to Schwartz's scheme best, and what traits do you think he values most after your film study this year? Seems like he'd fall in love with Tabor, and he's talking about Jalen Tabor, the cornerback from Florida, an underclassman who declared for the draft recently. Now, when, it talk, when you talk about the traits that he looks for in, a, in the cornerback position, just going off of what you see on tape, I think the number one thing is competitiveness. And that's something actually that I've learned to really kind of look for across the board, not just with, with corners, but across the board on offense and on defense with everybody. You want that kind of that relentless toughness, that ability to, to win your one-on-one because it's not always going to be pretty in the NFL. There are going to be times where you are out-athleted. You're going to be overpowered at times at the point of attack, but you want to see that competitiveness, that willpower to try and push yourself over the top. It might, it might be that you initially get beat and you fight back through it and then you end up winning the, the, the down. It could be a time where uh, you're going up against a double team or a triple team and you try and fight through it. You want to see that competitiveness and everything, and I think that's certainly a trait that Jim Schwartz talked about with Jalen Mills often this season was his competitiveness on the perimeter. Next up, I think you need a corner that has both man and zone versatility. Obviously, every corner in the NFL is going to have to play man coverage at some point, but you also want a player that can hold up in zone coverage. We've seen the Eagles play some cover three, some quarters, but also a ton of cover two. You want a player that's got good instincts in zone coverage, but also, that ability to hip pocket with receivers and man, that's across the board in any scheme, but it's very, very important in this one as well. Second, thirdly, you want to be able to defend the run. With the way that the Eagles play, everybody is a part of the run fit. We've seen a lot of instances this year where defensive backs were a little bit late to the hole or weren't able to finish a tackle one-on-one. The defensive backs, that's the safeties and the corners, both have to be very effective against the run. And I personally always want ball skills. You always want corners with good ball skills. I, I've learned over my time that you that you need ball skills at the cornerback position. That's kind of your lifeline on whether you're going to sink or swim at that position in the NFL. So the, the ability to find the ball down the field, jump up and make a play on the ball, out-muscle those receivers, and that's where that competitiveness comes into play as well. But being able to go and play the ball in the air – very, very important. Now, this is a very strong cornerback class, and Ryan did a good job. He pointed out Jalen Tabor. I think he certainly would fit. I would look at guys like Desmond King, who's a little bit smaller, and probably you wouldn't have looked at for, say, a Chip Kelly team because he's a little bit on the smaller side. He's under five foot eleven, but he's got that athleticism. He's got that competitive edge. I like what Desmond King brings to the table as a four-year starter for Iowa. Tredavious White brings a lot of those similar traits as well, a little bit bigger. Former teammate of Jalen Mills. Great guy off the field, but also is really, really talented between the lines. He's got great ball skills. I love his ability to come downhill. One of the things I've always said about White is he lives on that island where screen passes go to die. He's a great run defender, comes downhill, is a good tackler, good versatility as well, has played every position in the secondary for LSU. Again, much like Jalen Mills, I really like the Cordrea Tankersley kid from Clemson. He's long, he's athletic, he's instinctive, and again, has great ball skills. I really like Tankersley. And I like Camp Sutton as well from Tennessee. He doesn't have outstanding size. He's, I think he's about 5'11", 
But again, instinctive, great ball skills. He has to improve as a tackler, and that's the one difference between Sutton and some of these other guys. He does need to improve as a tackler. So does Tabor. But I think Sutton makes up for it in other ways. I do love his instincts and his ball skills, as well as his competitiveness down the field. So thanks to Ryan and all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcast offerings on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. All right, let's keep this show going. I told you earlier, I wanted to profile a player at the linebacker position that's really stood out to me in my preparation for the Senior Bowl and the Shrine Game next week, which, quick programming note, by the way, this is the last show for a couple weeks since I will be down at the Senior Bowl. I will be down at the Shrine Game, so you can check us out. The Journey to the Draft podcast presented by AAA. A lot of you have been asking about it on Twitter. That will return next week, so next Monday and then later next week at the Shrine Game. Same thing at the Senior Bowl that Monday and later on that week on a Friday, we'll say, before the Senior Bowl game. You can keep an eye out for the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by AAA, and I'll always be on the College Draft podcast with myself and Ross Tucker. So I'll be doing both of those over the next couple weeks. Keep an eye out for Eagle Eye in the Sky after the Senior Bowl. So uh, let's get into it. I talked about that linebacker. Let's jump to that who that player is now, the mystery player in our scouting report. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, so the player that I want to talk about in scouting report this week is Florida linebacker Jared Davis, who at 6'1", 236 pounds, was a second-team All-SEC player this year, Uh, really, really productive player over the last few years for the Gators in the best conference in college football. Now, Davis was a member, and, and this is your, you guys are going to hear me say this all the time throughout the offseason, is he was a member of Bruce Feldman's freak list this past year, uh, which always highlights the top athletes in college football. Chris McPherson historically has always uh, busted on me for my infatuation with this list. But it's really cool because it gives you an idea of some of the athletic numbers of some of these guys before they go to the combine, before they go to the pro day, and just helps to profile some of these guys that are kind of freak athletes at the college level. Davis was one of those guys, and usually my biggest takeaway from those, like I said, is those physical measurables. But with Davis, it was a little bit different because Feldman got some quotes. He got a quote from Randy Shannon, his linebacker coach of Florida, who's been around a ton of great players at the University of Miami. And Shannon had this to say. He said, Davis has the competitiveness of John Vilma, the athleticism of John Beeson, and the football knowledge of Ray Lewis, which that's very, very high praise for a, for a college linebacker coming from someone in Randy Shannon who was around all three of those players. Then you look at Jeff Collins, who now just got hired as the head coach at Temple. He was Davis's defensive coordinator at Florida. He said in that article that his desire, his drive, and his willpower are at the highest level there is. Every rep he takes at practice or in a walkthrough is at a game-level focus. He's as intense of an individual as he's ever been around and one of the highest character kids as well. So Very, very high praise for Jared Davis. I remember I talked to Edgar Thompson on the phone early this season for my Saturday scouting piece on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, and he had nothing but great things to say about Davis as well, said he was the the leader of that Florida team. So by all accounts, you're getting an A-plus kid. So on the field, what do you see with Davis? Well, he was a two-year starter at middle linebacker in Jeff Collins' multiple defensive front. They played some three down and some four down, but wherever they lined up, Davis was the middle linebacker, also did start in their nickel sub package, lined up mostly stacks, meaning off the line of scrimmage, in the tackle box, and he also had experience playing press against a tight end. And and the the important part there is that's a role that we've seen the Eagles use, that that stacked linebacker, that is how the linebackers are utilized in this defense. So he would fit from that standpoint for sure. Davis is a high-speed collision player, flies around with almost reckless abandon at times, Very impressive closing speed in the open field. He's got the burst to close on the ball in a hurry. Attacks downhill with a fury, and he is not afraid to throw his weight around, which is very much needed in this scheme. 
got better at the point of attack as a senior, used his hands to stack and shed blocks and get to the football, which is something we just talked about with Ike, defeating blocks in the run game. That's something I thought Davis did a really good job of this year and last year as a junior. He's a pretty good tackler, still has some misses when he comes in a little bit too hot, but he does look to wrap up, and he's got the body to get almost any back-to-the-ground one-on-one. He's strong. He's explosive. He can dole out punishment on ball carriers. I can remember in the SEC title game last year, so two years ago in 2015, he came downhill against Derrick Henry, and it was one-on-one. Henry lowered his shoulder into Davis just as Davis prepared to strike. Davis gave up no ground. He got the ball on the ground, forced a turnover, huge collision, really impressive play because you know the kind of back that Henry was at the college level. It's just really, really impressive to see a guy like that come downhill and stop Henry one-on-one and get the ball out. In coverage, Davis can spot drop in zone, was asked to run down the seam with tight ends and man, so he got, he has some versatility there, but he was asked to man up on running backs as well. Good blitzers, got a couple different moves in his repertoire, so high motor kid, works well in pursuit, plays sideline to sideline. You're checking a lot of boxes when you're talking about Jared Davis. Now, here's the one big concern I have with him. I thought that he, this year he showed an improved ability to key and diagnose run plays as a senior, but he still does false step at times against backfield action, and I think he's just decent within his, in this area with his eyes. And that was something that really worried me coming into the year. I do think he improved this year as a senior, so certainly something to watch moving forward. He is only a two-year starter, so he was, at a, I would say, a low level at this trait as a junior. I thought he improved this year as a senior, so what can he be moving forward? You're trying to project and see, can he he get to a high level with his eye discipline and eliminate some of those false steps because he still can be a tick late to react to the football coming downhill more of a see it get it type of linebacker uh you know didn't make a ton of plays where he navigated through traffic well on his way to the football he was not a disciplined coverage player I thought his eyes could get stuck in the backfield at times and too often in zone I thought he guarded grass too often as opposed to trying to match up in zone coverage but uh, really just an impressive athlete at the position. I love his physicality. Obviously love his character and his work ethic. So he's kind of reminded me in some ways of Alec Ogletree, who was a first-round pick out of Georgia, went to the L.A. Rams. I believe he was an all-pro player this past year for the Rams on that defense. So similarly fit, freakish athlete as Ogletree. Lacks that true, the true instincts and the ability to play through traffic at this time, but a high upside, potentially impact player that you need to have faith in. I would say that he'd probably be at his best in a scheme like the Eagles where they want you to be aggressive. They want you to be downhill and play sideline to sideline. Davis is kind of that hybrid thumper, run and chase guy. His eyes can be better, but I really, really like this kid. Now, it'll be interesting to see. I think he could be kind of that, you know, in in the early second round area type of player uh, in a linebacker class that's not overly full of prospects, but I, I, I think he's a really, really good player. All right, great stuff from Ike Reese, from Ryan Field. Thanks for that great question. And all of you out there listening, whether you're on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Spotify, Google Play, and, of course, on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. Thank you. And, again, if you get the time, rate the show. Leave us a comment like Ryan did. Let us know what you're thinking. If you have a question, I will absolutely hit it in depth on this show now as we're in the off season, So you go and you leave a comment, you leave a question, now you're turning into a segment here on the podcast. So just go and comment wherever you listen, and we'll make sure you hit on it here on the show. But I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Line the Sky podcast. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I'm Fran Duffy. We will talk to you in three weeks.